Let's pray together. So, dear God, I thank you that we can come here, God, that we can hear your word. Lord, I pray, God, that we would have open hearts, God, that would receive what you would have for us this morning, Jesus. God, you are a good God, Lord, and I thank you that the word has the power to transform our lives. In your precious name, and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to UCC. Happy Thanksgiving. So over the past few months, I have really been looking to God in a renewed way, and part of that has been stepping up my prayer life, really getting into the word. You know, I love in the Bible where it says, as we draw near to the draw near to God. He draws near to us. And it is so true. The word doesn't return void. And so it's been through me getting into the Bible, really getting into the word that God has been just so faithful and just showing me and revealing himself to me and his promises in such a God-ordained way. And so one morning, I was just doing my morning devotions. I was having my coffee. My two little toddlers were quietly playing. And if you are a parent, you know that those are rare unicorn moments where everything is just still and peaceful and quiet. Those, mo- those moments are amazing. So my boys were, were doing that. So I took advantage of it. And I'm just reading my Bible and praying. And I'm kind of wrestling a bit with the scriptures and asking God, like, God, did I hear right? Are you speaking through your word this way? And from my vantage point um, in my living room, I have a large picture of my favorite flower painting, and that caught my attention. And I remember as clear as day, I felt convicted that the reason I was having such a hard time accepting and believing God's word was because the condition of my heart wasn't right. And so this parable actually came to mind. So how I perceived the word of God determined how I received the word of God. So this parable we looked at is the parable of the sower, and that is actually the title of my message this morning. I tried to come up with a clever title, and I just it wasn't happening, but this is to the point. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower, and parables are metaphors. They use layman's terms to articulate a concept of the kingdom of God. So to recap the video, there are four soil types. There's the path, the rocky soil, the overgrown soil, and the healthy soil. And Jesus explains what this means in Matthew 13, verses 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once and receives it with joy. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. I am not a green thumb whatsoever. My yard's actually borderline embarrassing. I am terrible. But but I do know that soil conditions, they do impact growth. And so we're going to quickly unpack these three unhealthy soil conditions. The first is the path. This is not even on the field. There is no soil. Ergo, there are, not, there are no roots. So this represents people who would have very little to no understanding of God. It disappears as soon as it comes. The unchurched would really be prone to this. So 
When I went to Hillsong College, um, I moved to Sydney, Australia three years ago, or not three years ago, 13 years ago, a bit of a difference. Um, I was there for three years is what I meant to say, but that was almost 13 years ago. Um, but our living arrangements were unique. So basically, we were a church-based college, Hillsong's a mega church, so we didn't have dorms. Instead, we lived in these houses in the community. So if you went to the city campus, it was city living, and how that looked as... Um, it was apartments downtown. I went to the Hills District, so therefore, for me, it was uh, suburbs and beaches, and so it was beautiful, so we lived in houses, but the Hills District also happens to be the richest postal code in all of Sydney. So to make it affordable, what they would do is they would cram as many students into these houses as legally possible to try to lower the cost of rent. So that's what I did. So I went from living with all brothers, you can imagine, to living with six girls and a married couple. Like, it was, it was an adjustment, guys. I'm not going to lie. Um, girls are no joke. Um, but I think about, Raj is like, amen, that's my life. Um, but, uh, but for me, um, I, I think of it, it was an adjustment for me, but I think of my roommate, Chris, um, who was the, the one married guy. He went from living with, get this, one wife to seven women. I know, I know. Um, and you know, in our, in our house, it, it was a real kaleidoscope of cultures. I went to, the school is actually called Hillsong International Leadership College. And international is true because it was a real kaleidoscope of cultures in my house. We had Japanese, um, Norwegian, Icelandic, American, Canadian, did I say Kiwi, which is New Zealand, and South Africa. And the married couple was from South Africa and they were lovely and um, Cynthia in particular, she was lovely. She was beautiful. And I mean, Chris was a nice enough guy, but to be honest, he was punching above his weight. He had done, he did well. He really did well. We're like, get on you, Chris. Um, but I thought, okay, he must be a nice guy. I guess that's how they work. I know this is terrible. Um, but he's not going to hear this message because South Africa is far away. Um, <laughs> but I remember um, seeing how Chris, he would do these nice things for his wife. They're from South Africa. And he, uh, he would say, donkey whenever she did something nice. And I thought, okay, okay, that, that, I must have misheard that. But no, again, she did something nice. And he said, donkey. And guys, I kept hearing donkey like for weeks on end, turned into months. And one day I, I snapped. I had had it. I'm like, she's this beautiful, lovely girl. She did something nice and you're calling her a donkey. Like that is not right. So one day I snapped and I said, Chris, for the love of all things good and pure, insert annoying Kristen rant, which I'm sure my husband could fill you in on those. Um, but I said, would you stop calling your wife a donkey? Seriously. And he looks at me with this total look of confusion. And then he said to me, because we lived in Australia, remember? He said, oi, Kristen, donkey means thank you in Afrikaans. <laughs> so here I thought he was calling his wife a donkey. But he was actually saying donkey, which is thank you. So, of course, I tried to, you know, backpedal as much as you can. There's no getting out of that. Um, there was the language barrier. It was completely, completely lost on me what he was saying. And this is like people whose soil is on the path. It just, it's just gone. It's just, it doesn't register. It doesn't connect. There's a language barrier. Lisa Brevere says the language of God must be the language we default to. So next comes the rocky ground. 
This is the person who has some connection with God, but you know, it's casual and shallow. If they were to broadcast their relationship with God on Facebook, like a spiritual relationship status, it'd probably be like in an open relationship. Um, I don't even know why people put that on there. That's so dumb. Um, But in an open relationship, you know, they keep it cash. They keep it cool. You know, as soon as things become inconvenient or uncomfortable or hard, they check out. You know, God is in this box and he is at a comfortable distance. However, the word of God truly isn't permitted to permeate the heart. Next comes the category that I think many of us fall into. And for me that morning, I fell into this category. You know, there is rich soil there, but there are also weeds and there are thorns. My last message was titled Unsubscribed, where I mentioned certain vices that are chokeholds in our faith. I mentioned worry, discouragement. Here also in, this, in the scripture, materialism is listed. You know, news headlines can be so disheartening. And it's good that we care and everything like that. Sometimes the everyday mundane, everyday life can just bring distractions and clutter, you know, or life can get cluttered. But we need, to, we need to weed out those thorns in our lives, the things that rob God's word of truly making a transforming impact in us. So take a moment, ask yourself, God, are there any thorns in my life? Are worries choking out your word? God, is there clutter? Do I need to simplify my life as we've been talking about in the previous sermon series? Elizabeth Elliot says a quote that I absolutely love. She says, don't dig up and doubt what you planted in faith. So next, we're going to look at healthy soil. And here I'm going to outline three characteristics of people who have healthy spiritual soil where God's word can be planted, it can take root, and it can flourish. So firstly, people who have that healthy soil, they know the word of God. I grew up, I'm a pastor's kid, I'm a PK. Yeah, Um, (laughs) we're a notorious bunch. Um, But, you know, I grew up in this home that had multiple Bibles and various translations. You know, in fact, one of the gifts I received as a baby for simply being born was this little pink Bible in microscopic print. You know, I'm so thankful that I was immersed in the Word of God from a young age. I am, I am so grateful for my parents and what a foundation that was. But I have to say, for me at least, with that familiarity, I began to take it for granted, you know? There's that quote where it says, familiarity breeds contempt. I had that a little bit. And there were a few years in my life where my Bible, where the Word of God metaphorically collected dust in my life. When I was a youth pastor, I had two extremes of students in my youth ministry. I had my unchurched kids who were completely biblically illiterate and they knew it. And that was fine. They were there to learn and I loved them and they were awesome. On the other hand, I had the cocky church kid. And some of my church kids were great. But then there were some of my cocky church kids who thought they knew everything. Like they were like little experts at the age of 15. They were so mature. And um, I don't know about you, but it is really, really hard to cultivate a passion for learning and growing if you think you've already mastered a subject. And that's what I was dealing with. It was tricky. And so what I actually did is I took my keeners and before youth one night, before we had pre-service prayer, I actually had them write out a first year Bible college quiz all about the Bible and the background and the context and all that, to which they all failed miserably. 
And that was actually the point. I had designed for them to fail to get the point across that no matter if you've been immersed in the, in the word of God from birth like I was, or if you're just delving in now, guys, we can always go deeper. We can always grow. We will never fully, I believe, like get our minds around every aspect of the word of God until we're in eternity ourselves. Isaiah 54 verse 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Keep growing. Keep going deeper. So reading the Bible, reading the word of God has never been so accessible. You know, many of us, me included, have a Bible on your smartphone. I'm sure many of you here have your Bible right here in multiple languages, multiple translations. Keep in mind, though, that in many parts of the world, this is just not the case. It's not. People face persecution, punishment by death, to, to, to either bring the word of God or to own the word of God. In a country like Korea, North Korea, where the borders are closed, I've actually heard of stories where people are airdropping, like parachuting these Bibles in to get them to people. So when I acknowledge the plight of so many from a global perspective, getting out of my comfortable Canadian viewpoint, and I think of the plight of so many people in the world, you know, I feel convicted in my comfort for having such a casual relationship with God's word, you know? So the convenience of accessing God's word, it compelled me to take a look at the Bible. How did it go from divine, ancient writings to literally in the palm of my hand? So the Bible, the process in which the Bible was written, it was complex, it was meticulous, it was over a long period of time. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year period from 1400 BC to 90 AD. The Bible is not like this magical book written by like this wizardy Simpsons character-esque God with a feather quill pen, but rather he used divine inspiration and inspired over 40 authors over this time period. Of course, the materials they would use would be old school to say the least. They were primitive. And so they would break down. So even the process in copying the Bible was meticulous and foolproof to ensure 100% accuracy. So some of these standards included they had to verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. The letters, words, and paragraphs had to be counted, and the document became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph and word must correspond to those of the original document. So like two literal physical copies, they had to look the same. And get this, they had to wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies every time they said the word Jehovah. I mean, there was great care in not only just writing the Bible, but making copies of the Bible. So here I've outlined the process and the method of how the Bible came to be. But what does the word of God say about itself? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4.12 states, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is the one book that reads us back. First, 
Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, you heard from us as you accepted it is not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So maybe you're listening to me and you're thinking, okay, like I'm hearing this mini history lesson. I'm hearing these verses. What's, what's the point? I'm trying to show the significance of God's word. You know, it is more than an app on our phones. I would love if we all leave this place with just a desire to get into the word of God for ourselves, to crack open the Bible. If we want to have rich, fertile soil where the word of God can thrive in our lives, it's so important that we know the word of God. Secondly, people who have that healthy soil, they obey the word of God. Joshua 1 verse 8 says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Psalms 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Psalms 119, 105 states, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, this is where knowledge, where knowledge springs into action. It permeates and affects every aspect of our life from our thoughts and now to our actions, to our deeds. So maybe this is where you've had a busy, a busy Saturday night and Sunday morning comes along, your alarm goes off. And instead of phoning it in, you think of Matthew 16 where it says, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Haiti will not overcome it. So you think, right, church is important to God as it says in his word then it should be important to me. You know, maybe God's called you to do something or even just to walk a season in faith, with faithfulness. And when obstacles come your way, instead of running away like Jonah, you press on. You think about Romans 8 where it says that he works all things for good for those who have been called according to his purpose. And if God is for me, who could be against me? Maybe it's with sin. Maybe instead of trying to get dancing as close to that line as you possibly can, thinking how far can I go before I go too far, you recall James 4, 4, verse 7, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, listen, I don't want to go all fire and brimstone this morning. That is not our style. That's not my heart at all. Um, I was gone last week because my little one-year-old was sick. Life happens, you know, and we make mistakes. But my point is that if the word of God dwells in us, then should our lives reflect that? You know, we do serve a God abounding in grace, but as Jude 1.4 states, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. There are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our sovereign and Lord. You know, God's grace was never designed to be treated like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. It's not one of those, well, I'll do it now, say sorry for it later deals. You know, God's grace doesn't negate our responsibility to do our best to lead faithful and obedient lives. We do it because we know the word, because we want to obey the word. But it's not just out of duty, but out of love. Jesus said, in John 14, 23, anyone who loves me 
will obey my teaching. Jesus doesn't hold back there. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My hope is that we would be people of integrity, that we would do the right thing, that we wouldn't view the word of God as kind of an opt-in program, but that we would do our best to follow what it says. So if we want to have that rich, healthy soil, know the word of God, obey the word of God, and finally, believe or have faith in the word of God. Numbers 13 and 14 in the Bible talks about how Moses and the Israelites, so they're walking through the wilderness to the promised land, and he sends 12 spies, including Joshua and Caleb, to go out to scout out the land to get the scoop. So I'll give a little summary. So after 40 days, they return and give the report. They comment how it is flowing with milk and honey, as they were told. They even show some fruits of the land, like a little Price is Right model. Here you go. Um, But the 10 spies, they begin to speak negatively about it. They're highlighting the obstacles. They're seeing people who were giant in stature, these strong protected cities, these fortresses. They say it's hopeless. They're basically saying, guys, this is a suicide mission. Let's not do this. However, Caleb challenges that in Numbers 30. It says, Caleb told the people to be quiet and listen to Moses. Caleb said, let's go now and take possession of the land. We should be more than able to conquer it. Caleb remembered what God had said and believed what God had said. The 10 spies, however, they would not listen. They, they weren't having it. They actually begin, it says that they began to lie or it, it, it looks like they were exaggerating and embellishing. They, instead of people just being big, they're like, guys, we were as small as grasshoppers. These buildings were like tall skyscrapers. They're, they're embellishing. They're, they were lying. And so the Israelites, they hear this. They're hearing these reports from these 10 spies. And they're like, no, like, let's, let's not do this. And so these are people who had heard God's word. They had been free from slavery in Egypt. They had seen the 10 plagues. They had witnessed the Red Sea waters divide. They saw manna fall from heaven. Yet now they're doubting God's word. And instead of continuing to the promised land, they want to return to Egypt. You know, I think for so many of us, we're on the border of our promised land. But sometimes we want to go back to what enslaves us like the Israelites did. Numbers 14 says, So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who espied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Continuing, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to them to stone them with stones. Tough crowd, hey? Um, Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? You know, my prayer this morning is that we would be a Joshua and Caleb generation. 
That when troubling circumstances come our way, that we would be firmly rooted in the word of God. That we wouldn't be like those 10 other spies who were just, they just saw the problems. But like Caleb and Joshua, that we wouldn't forget the promise. Even when our circumstances don't look like it. Even when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes life doesn't. Even when we can't yet see the promise that when God says he is going to do something, he will do it. When God says he will do something, he will do it. This is backed up by scripture. You're going to see just a few references here. Psalms 138 verse 2 says, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Get this, for your promises are backed up by the honor of your name. Proverbs 35, every word of God proves true. Every word. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Psalms 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold, sorry, gold refined seven times. God's word doesn't become true when we believe it because it is always true, regardless of what we believe. What does happen when we believe is it becomes transformational. There is power in believing in the word of God. We can trust in the word of God. May we be a Joshua and Caleb generation in this place. May we be firmly planted in the word of God so that it can take root and flourish in our life. And so I know my sermon wasn't going to be long today because it is Thanksgiving, but I would like you to take a moment, take stock of your heart's condition. You know, maybe you're hearing me speak and you're like, Kristen, if I were honest, my, I'm like the person with, with the soil that's like the path. I just, I don't know God. God is just so distant from me. I don't, I don't know God. I really don't know God. We're in a moment just going to pray together. And I'm actually going to have, ask every, every head to bow, every eye to close, just for a moment. Oh, we're just going to pray a prayer of salvation. And if, if this is something you need to do, just, just, just believe it in your heart, you know, we're not saved by grace. Or sorry, nope, nope, that's heresy. We are saved by grace. We're not saved. Sorry, guys, sorry. Um, we're saved by, we are saved by grace. We are not saved by works. Did I say that right? Yes, I think I did. Um, there we go. There we go. Okay, my bad. I'm never gonna speak again. Um, so we are, sa- we are saved by grace. And so it's, it's, we can't do anything to prove or be worthy of salvation, but it is, it is unmerited grace something we don't deserve, but God gives it to us anyways. We just ask God to come into our heart. So I'm going to pray this prayer. And if this resonates within you, just pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I have done wrong by living without you. I am sorry and I trust in you that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace for me and ask that you would be my Lord. Help me believe in you and love you every day. And help me to show the world what you are like and how great your love is. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed this prayer and you either committed your life to God or recommitted your life to God, I would encourage you to to come speak with me or with Pastor Raja or anybody with a name tag in this place. And we would love to pray with you and encourage you and help come alongside you as you walk this faith-filled journey. Continuing on, for those of you who identify as the person with rocky soil, you're like, you know what? If I were honest, I'm in an open relationship with God. God's a part of my life, but I have all these other things too. He's not really the Lord and Savior of my life. But I would encourage you today, go deeper in the word of God. Go from being a follower to a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you're like me on that one morning where it's overgrown soil, where the worries of this life choke out the word of God. I encourage you to take your worries, take your anxiety to God. In the Bible, it says, cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Begin to weed out that junk in your life that's not meant to be there. And lastly, may we all strive to have that healthy soil that we would know the word of God, that we would obey the word of God, we would do what it says. And lastly, that we would believe in the word of God, that we would be that Joshua and Caleb generation, that when troubles come our way, we wouldn't just see the problems, but we would look to God, his word, and see the promise. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you that we can be in this place. God, I thank you for your word. God, what a a gift it was to give us, Lord. Lord, I pray, God, that we would leave this place, God, with a desire and a hunger, God, to get into the word for ourselves. Lord, I pray, God, that our heart conditions, Lord, in our lives would be healthy, God. I pray that we would be people that would know you, know your word, listen to your word, God, and that we would believe your word. God, you are a faithful God. Every word you say is proven true, Jesus. We can trust in you. God, I thank you that your your word, that the Bible transforms our lives. In your precious name, amen.